This is HEC Media. Welcome to Talking with Authors, a program dedicated to speaking with some of the best-selling authors around, covering many different genres. I'm your podcast host, Rod Milam, for HEC Media. With the help of independent bookstore Left Bank Books and the St. Louis County Library, we are able to sit down with amazing writers and thought leaders to discuss their work, their inspiration, and what makes them special. By the way, you can also watch video versions of most of these interviews by going to hecmedia.org. Today, our author is New York Times bestselling crime writer Karen Slaughter. We spoke with her as part of a tour for her book, Pieces of Her, by HarperCollins Books. This was done in August of 2018 at the Hilton St. Louis Frontenac. Karen Slaughter was born in Georgia and is very well known for her two groupings of books, the Will Trent series and the Grant County series, both of which are set in her home state. Now, Karen's desire to create written works was apparently born with her in the South. When she was a little girl, she used to make short stories with as few as 10 pages where her sisters were characters, but they didn't always come off so well on paper. The paying consumer group of one of all of those stories was her father. She says he always supported her pursuit of storytelling, but that support had a cutoff point. The night of my graduation, my father put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you can do anything you want, but you can't live at home. And that was a real kick in the pants for me to go out. And I had lots of different jobs and did different things. And eventually I was able to get an agent and get published. But it took about 10 years and I worked a lot of really horrible jobs in between. But she most certainly got published. Now she's 18 novels into her career of writing about crime in the real and fictionalized versions of the Peach State. We'll learn about her reasons for setting her thriller stories in Georgia, her process of writing, and her undying support of libraries of all kinds. Edgar-nominated and New York Times bestselling writer Karen Slaughter is our guest on this episode of Talking with Authors from HEC Media and HEC Books. Here's our host and interviewer this time, Victoria Babu. I tore through, like fire, your book, Pieces of Her. It's an easy read because it's captivating. With every page, I'm like, where is she going with this? Okay, but this is interesting. Um, it really could be a movie. And I know that two of your books are becoming movies. Yeah, and actually this one got optioned as well. So I'm very excited about that. It has a great team of women who've worked on Big Little Lies, House of Cards, um, Homeland. And they're really professional and they really understand the character. So I'm looking forward to see what they come up with. Do you have a say in that process? Well, yes and no. They say they'll consult me. At the end, it's their project. But they've been very generous having conversations with me about characters and motivation and that sort of thing. So I I'm, I'm feel lucky to be included. The interest in thrillers, uh, where did that really stem from? And is it something from childhood? I think so. You know, when I was nine or ten years old, we had a serial killer in Atlanta. And I lived about 40 minutes away, but the Atlanta child murders were happening, and it was a very frightening time for me. And it also informed my childhood because I went from being able to go on my bike anywhere I wanted to and to basically be locked out of the house in the daytime. This was back when you could do that with kids, and you know, my mom's house was her sacred place, and we had to go entertain ourselves during the day. That stopped. You know, we had to check in with her. We had to be careful where we went. We couldn't talk to strangers. It was really terrifying. And it made me, from a very young age, not just interested in crime, but interested in how crime affects people, victims, families, and communities. It is a trickle effect, no question. Absolutely. Uh, this one takes us around the world. Um, 
How, what's your method? What's your process as a writer? Um, does the idea come to you? Do you read something and think, oh, that'd be a great topic? Does it vary? I'm curious, like, where does it begin? Usually with a line, you know, a, a line of dialogue or just a, a scene observation that pulls me into the story because the characters for me are very important. And the plot is important, but you have to care about the characters or the plot just doesn't really make sense, right? So the line for this one is Andrea, the young woman who's 31 years old, is having brunch with her mother on her birthday. Laura is in her mid-50s, and she thinks about her mom it's a truth universally understood that your mother can say your hair looks good today, and what you hear is your hair has looked awful every day until now. Isn't that true? It is, yeah. 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 So that was like a perfect mother-daughter line, and it really made me understand them. As you write, what do we really know about this person that we've been with for so long and know only as this one, one way, in this one way? I don't want to give anything away, but only as mom in this case exactly. to Andrea. Yeah. And well, I think every kid goes through that too. You know, I remember very clearly my stepmother talking about when she met my dad and saying, oh, he lived in this singles compound and he had a mirrored headboard. And I said, let me stop you right there. I don't want to know this. Exactly. He's just my dad, right? You can talk about cutting grass and parallel parking and that's it. That's very funny because you saw him only that way. Exactly. As she saw him as, you know, husband, lover, whatever. But yeah, you're like, Nick say. Um, but that, she, that comes out with Andrea's character, too, as, as it evolves. True. So, so you've sit, written a series of books, Grant County. Um, why did you start off into doing individual books then after that? Well, I also wrote another series with Will Trent, and part of the reason for that was everyone was getting a little too happy in Grant County. Uh, also, it, it, why was anyone living there? It's a small town, and they're rapists and murderers, and it was worse than Congress, right? <laughs> so I wanted to mix things up, and I started writing about Will, but then I started to get ideas for books that wouldn't work for his universe, and so... Pretty Girls, The Good Daughter, Cop Town, and this. I mean, this specifically, all of my stories are set in Georgia, but with this one, you know, as an author, I've had such a great opportunity to tour most of the United States, and I've seen every state except for Alaska, and I wanted to write a road trip where Andy got to see our beautiful country. Yeah, and she grew up within that time frame, too, into, I think, more of the woman than her mom was hoping she would become. Exactly. I mean, if parents want their kids to grow up, I guess uh, being in a thriller and having a murderer chasing you is a good idea. <laughs> yes. It forces you to, well, she had to think on her own, even exactly. though she channeled her, her stepfather and, or her, yeah, I guess it's stepfather, and, uh, and her mother throughout about what would they do or how would they think. And, but mostly I think she um, finally figured out on her own. Yeah, and as she geographically got farther away from them, she sort of grew up. Yeah, it's fascinating. I travel a lot in other countries, and every country has the equivalent phrase for helicopter parent. And in Denmark, they call them curling parents after the Olympic sport of curling, you know, where you smooth the <laughs> yes. way. And it, it's, it can be a problem, you know. It can kind of stunt kids' growth. And so Andy has to go out on her own and make mistakes and kind of fall down before she can stand up. It has shades of, on a bigger scale, a David Koresh, uh, Waco, uh, Jimmy Jones down in Guyana with the... the Jonestown. Jonestown, yeah. sorry. Um, those kind of people who are charismatic and, and could just... You wonder, why are people falling for this person and why, how could they just leave everything and, and fall for them? You really do a good job of getting, speaking of the characters that you build upon, of getting into that character 
and understanding their psyche where you kind of go, I kind of get it. Even though it may not be me, I get how they felt for Nick. Yeah. You know, the thing about con men is they're really good at finding victims. And they give them just enough love and just enough approval to keep them coming back for more. And if you look at Charles Manson, Jonestown, I mean, Jones was an amazing, charismatic man. And when he first started out, he was doing wonderful things. He was feeding homeless people, taking care of the elderly. And then it just went crazy. And a lot of these places that you see, these cults, they start out like that and end up at a very bad place. You started with the dialogue and the characters. And then how did it develop into this cult following? You know, I've I've always wondered about people who get involved with cults and what about the cult is appealing to them. And educated people. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think at, at some level, the wonderful thing about being in a cult is everybody else is wrong and you're right. Um, which I think most of us learned in sixth grade that if that's what you're thinking, then probably you're the one who's wrong. Um, But it's also this familial thing. A lot of people are dissatisfied with their own families, and so they're drawn into a family sort of atmosphere. And they may not necessarily like everyone in their family, but that's pretty typical with real families too. And they just feel that, that they belong. And I thought I read at the end that you did a lot of research for this one. Absolutely. In in what way? Well, there's a couple of different things that I'm talking about in there. Um, We talked about cults, so I had to look into that. Uh, I've always been fascinated by child prodigies and how very stressful that is to be a child with that kind of talent and to have to work on it every day. And, you know, usually in the early 20s, by the time they reach that age, they've done everything. So what else is there? Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I also talked to musicians and just a, a whole bunch of different people about some of the elements in the book. Someone who lived in Norway in the 1980s. I, I read economic textbooks from the 1980s. And I mean, don't worry. I mean, as you know, it's not an economic textbook. The book is, moves very quickly. But it, I just had to know what I'm writing about and and what the world feels like in this time period before I can sit down and say, okay, I think I understand it enough where I can put a story in it. It's interesting because you talk about the 80s, yet some of it's so relevant today. Yeah. It was reading like it could have been happening right now. Yeah. Well, one, you know, one thing we are, we're still seeing is that people who have mental health issues are not getting treatment. And the deregulation of mental health services really started in the 80s. I mean, it was very aggressively uh, toned back. And what happened was we started putting people in prisons because th- there were no mental homes, there was no treatment for them. And, you know, just as someone who's a, a purebred capitalist, it seems like such a waste of money to incarcerate someone when it's much less expensive to put them in a, a setting where they can get mental health care services and then eventually get a job and pay taxes. You encompass so much in the book, and it reads so quickly. So to those who are uh, haven't read it yet, highly recommend it. Um, and I love books like that, and I haven't had a good one where I can't wait to find out what's going on next. And that was in the middle of a big move. So I was like, okay, I'm done packing boxes. Can't wait to go back to the book. That's got to be something that you appreciate as an author, don't you? That you want us to, there are those people, those characters in the back of my mind throughout the day. 
Absolutely, and I really work hard on that because I want you to feel like you're in the story when you're reading the story, and there's no character who isn't well-developed and who you don't understand, and sometimes you may get annoyed with the choices they make, but I want you as a reader to understand why they make those choices. Coming up in a moment, we'll get into how Karen Slaughter's life growing up in her home state of Georgia played a pivotal role in her becoming a lover of the printed word. I love libraries. It was the only air-conditioned building in town, so that was the first draw for me. But just the escape, and also as a young woman living in a small southern town, seeing women in charge, you know, the librarians were the bosses of the library, and they were very well educated, and they loved literature, and they were great role models for me. That, and how Karen became a writer, some of her process when she writes, and a reading from one of her most recent books, When Talking with Authors, continues from HEC Media. Educate Today offers an ever-growing library of the highest quality video resources, curriculum materials, and interactive programs, all of which are designed to challenge thinking, inspire creativity, and empower learning of students, educators, parents, and lifelong learners. And you can find out more about all these programs by going online to educate.today. That's educate.today. What was your psyche growing up in terms of maybe having attraction to mysteries and whodunits and twists and turns? Well, part of it was through my reading. You know, I loved the library. I was there every time the doors were open and my parents would let me. And the books I got were generally mysteries. Did you love Nancy Drew? Because that was I did. Mine. I did in Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown and Hardy Boys and all of the regular stuff. Of course, you know, as a teenager, I had to read Lace and that, that kind of trash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for the most part, I just loved thrillers. I loved mysteries. I loved the puzzle-solving aspect. Um, and as the youngest of, of three girls, you know, that was really my way of storytelling to scare my sisters the most. Because one thing my dad did when I was a little girl was he would give me a quarter every time I wrote a book. And I would illustrate it myself. I mean, there were maybe 10 pages, but most of them were about my sisters being mutilated or, you know, made to leave the house. I mean, the happy ending in all these books was me being an only child. And my dad thought that was hilarious. My sisters weren't as impressed, <laughs> uh, but they sold out to my father every edition. <laughs> Did your dad have an interest in writing? Not at all, but he was a storyteller. And that came from his family. They grew up very, very poor. They would literally squat in shacks as a family because they didn't own their own home. And his grandmother, my, my grandmother, his mother, grew up during the Depression. When she died, we found 60,000 packets of sweet and low that she had taken from uh, tables at restaurants because she was just so scared of having to go without. You know, she was had that, that mindset of the Depression. But my father loved to tell her stories because that was something that made her happy. And he told us stories. And of course, most of them were horrible dark gothic stories like uh, the little girl who left open the refrigerator door and died uh, or, or things like that. You know, he was always trying to scare us and teach us a lesson at the same time. So your love for writing started at a, what, a grade school age then? Yeah, at six years old, I wrote my first book. Wow. Yeah. So you knew then that this was something I have a passion for that, and, and did your teachers know, see this and they, did they cultivate that? 
Yeah, my English teachers did. My math teachers weren't as impressed. Uh, but uh, my first book is actually dedicated to my ninth grade English teacher. Oh, that's so wonderful. And she stayed in my life uh, until she died recently. But she was always there, much, very much a mentor. She had to be so proud of you and your successes. She was great. That's so wonderful. Um, so, you know, for every writer, they, they hope to have that in their lives where they have that person cheering them on. It's interesting you mentioned that just... Uh, as I was looking at some notes from my daughter today that she found as we're cleaning up to move, and she had a note from a teacher that was so encouraging, and that's how important teachers are in our lives. True, um, true. Know. And she was a scary teacher, you know. T today she'd probably be sued, but we were terrified of displeasing her. She was really tough, she was very exact, and she never talked down to us. We always had to go to her level. Uh, and she was just an amazing woman. Let's talk about the background of loving thrillers and writing them. Uh, where did that interest come from? The local library. I'm a big proponent of the library. I loved it as a kid. I, I support it as an adult. Fortunately for me, I got really lucky. So I can, I'm in publishing, so I can get books if I want them. But I, I love libraries. It was the only air-conditioned building in town, so that was the first draw for me. But just the escape, and also as a young woman of a certain age, living in a small southern town, seeing women in charge, you know, the librarians were the bosses of the library, and they were very well-educated, and they loved literature, and they were great role models for me. Um, let's talk about Save the Libraries. So tell me about, did you start this? What's the background? And how can we all be a part of it? I started it during the economic downturn in 08, and it, the organization's called Save the Libraries. And what we do is we don't ask people to send money to us. We ask them to send money to their local library. And if you have a wonderful system and you're lucky to have a well-funded library, look next door. Because usually if there's a great system, there's one next door that might be struggling, uh, that needs help. And the thing is, if one of the, the groups that we've found who are very supportive of libraries are people who work in the juvenile justice system. 85% of the children in this system are functionally illiterate. How much cheaper is it to teach them how to read? And that, that's a really important thing communities need to understand. And so Save the Libraries tries to educate. We encourage authors to talk about it. We do fundraisers. We give block grants. Uh, one grant we gave during the rioting, it was uh, to Ferguson, uh, because the library stayed open. And no matter where you fall, politically, socially, anywhere, I think we can all agree children need a safe place to go. And that library was open. Teachers volunteered. They were doing the right thing. And we wanted to support that. That was my latch key was my library. I'd get home, I'd get off of school and go there and mom would pick me up when she got off work on the way home. And that was my safe haven. And I understand totally what you're talking about, the, uh, the, the mentors there. They, were, they are brilliant people that work there. They are. Yeah. They put up with a lot for very little money. <laughs> so we're very grateful but, for them. And you do incorporate the library into pieces of her. I do. Yeah. You know, most people don't understand what modern libraries do. Well, even older libraries. I mean, we wouldn't have a lot of novels that were written except for authors being able to rent typewriters at their local libraries. I mean, there's story after story. Even Scott Fitzgerald would rent a typewriter at his library occasionally. So computers are there, internet access. In rural areas of America, we still have trouble having access in all homes. And so children need to be able to go to the library and access that, or they're completely left out of the world. And, and I notice a lot of libraries are catering to children. Uh, it's more, when I was growing up, I didn't have so much a play area, but they've, they've incorporated books with playing and storytelling, and they've really upped that, I think. 
Absolutely, and they're doing things in some systems. They have music labs, they have film labs, computer training, all the, the tools that kids need in order to succeed in life. As you've gone through the years and, and, and have written since you six years old on, honestly, and I mean this seriously, has your process changed and how has it? You know, it hasn't changed much because what I always did um, was write in the morning before work and then I'd get home from work and I would write. And so anytime I have a, a period of time where I know I can write, that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, the main thing was when I graduated high school, uh, the night of my graduation, my father put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you can do anything you want, but you can't live at home. And that was a real kick in the pants for me to go out. And I had lots of different jobs and did different things. And eventually I was able to get an agent and get published. But it took about 10 years and I worked a lot of really horrible jobs in between. Did you get a lot of rejections with your writings? Absolutely. And, you know, I, maybe it just because I was in my 20s and I was young and arrogant, I always thought it wasn't me, it was them. And I didn't take the rejection uh, to heart and, you know, for the most part, I think that with a lot of agents, they may love your writing, they may love what you're doing, but they don't think they can sell it. And that's how they make money. So it, unfortunately, you have to understand it's a business. So to aspiring writers out there, you tell them what? Don't quit. I mean, that's the big thing. Everybody in the world very likely has one good idea for a book, but that's not the hard part. The hard part sitting down, expressing it through character, figuring out the plot, figuring out where you're going to fool people. And it, not just in thrillers, but in all novels, you have to have that suspension uh, that, that any good story has, that tautness where there's the mystery of character. You know, what are they going to do next? And if you look at the greatest novels in American literature, like The Great Gatsby or Gone with the Wind, there's this question of not just what's going to happen, but how is it going to affect the character? That's the difficult part. So what's next? We know that Pieces of Her is an option to become a movie. You've got The Good Daughter is, and what's the other one? Yep, Cop Town. Oh, Cop Town. Yes, yes. Cop Town. I can't keep up with all your writings. Um, but what's, what else is next? And will you stick with the thriller genre? Absolutely. I love thrillers. I think they're fantastic. You know, I mentioned Gone with the Wind and uh, Great Gatsby. These are murder stories. You know, there's a yeah. violent murder at their, their center. Um, but I love the genre and I want to keep doing it. And my next novel is back in my Will Trent series and it'll be out next year. With regards to the series of books that you've written, what was it like going from Sarah to Will and then bringing them together? It was very deliberate. A lot of people don't realize that, but I knew when I was writing Grant County, it couldn't go on forever. So about the fourth book, I started thinking about Will Trent creating his world and making him the kind of man that Sarah Linton might be interested in. You know, when you meet him in his initial two books, he doesn't really have his stuff together and she's not a woman who would put up with that. So I had to really work on him and make him open up a bit more and, and be more responsive and gen in general say more of the things that he had in his head. And Sarah really brings that out in him. But it was a very, honestly, a very difficult thing to end that series because I loved it so much. But I so enjoy having Sarah in Will's world and bringing Lena in. And in my next book with Will Trent, actually, I've brought Sarah's mother back. So I think people are going to be happy with that. Is it tough to end something like that? You come up with the ending first thing. How am I going to put a close to this. It seems so huge. I knew the ending for that book. It was the sixth novel in the series when I finished the fourth. So I was pretty clear about where I'm going. 
But you know, with all my books, I know how my books end before I start them. I think it's very important to play with the reader. I know you've got a lot of would-be writers who are watching this. And what my goal is when I get to an end of a novel is for the reader to say, oh, that makes sense, or what did I miss? Let me go back. Not to say, what just happened? So I need to know how it's going to end before I can do that. Uh, there's nothing like a good book. And Karen Slaughter, thank you so much for coming to St. Louis and for uh, entertaining all of us. My pleasure. Thank you. Karen Slaughter on her life as a writer and some insight on her process of making her crime series. Now, to close out our podcast, here's a small reading from her book, Pieces of Her, in her own words. For years, even while she'd loved him, part of her had hated him in that childish way you hate something you can't control. He was headstrong and stupid and handsome, which gave him cover for a hell of a lot of the mistakes he continually made, the same mistakes over and over again, because why try new ones when the old ones work so well in his favor? He was charming too, that was the problem. He would charm her, he would make her furious, then he would charm her back again so that she did not know if he was the snake or she was the snake and he was the handler. That's New York Times bestselling author Karen Slaughter reading from her book, Pieces of Her, from her publisher Harper Collins during our interview with her in August of 2018. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking with Authors. Now, remember, you can watch most of the episodes of this program by going online to hecmedia.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for Talking With Authors on all social media platforms. And if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review this program wherever you get your podcasts. The host and producer of the video version of this program was Victoria Babu. Photography was by Peter Foggy and Jeff White. Editor was Carrie Marks. Graphics were by Greg Kopp. Location producer was John Baker. Supervising producer was Julie Winkle. Production support by Jane Ballou and Christina Chastain. ATC Media Executive Director is Dennis Riggs. The Talking With Authors Podcast Executive Producer is Christina Chastain. The Podcast Editor was Paul Langdon. And I'm Rod Milam, your Podcast Producer and Host. Special thanks to the St. Louis Hilton Frontenac. Again, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. This is HEC Media.